I'm here with Dr. Chan Lei Fong from the National University of Malaysia Medical Centre. She is an academic psychiatrist. She's done a keynote talk here in the Postvention stream. So tell us, Postvention is a, is a term and a concept that a lot of people won't have heard of. So first of all, tell us what Postvention is. Okay, maybe I'll just bring a little bit back to something more familiar like prevention. So most people will be familiar with suicide prevention, how you prevent a suicide. So postvention would be focusing on uh, people who have lost somebody from suicide. Um, and um, it would be referring to what can we do to support people who are bereaved from suicide. And uh, there's an often quoted um, saying from Schneidman um, that says that postvention is prevention of suicide because people who have been exposed to suicide are at a higher risk. So it's kind of intertwined, uh, but it focuses on people who have been left behind by suicide. And your particular interest in this is kind of coming from a professional perspective. Um, and obviously, you know, professionals who lose patients that they care for are massively affected by that. Tell us a bit about how that, how that experience is from a professional perspective. Yeah, so I guess um, the role is professional, as in we are a professional healthcare provider, but really the impact um, is both personal and professional. Um, because, you know, obviously, if, you know, it, 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 there's no comparison about whose grief is more huge, whether, you know, if you lose a loved one, you know, you, 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 you are kind of like you're you have a valid reason to grieve. So um, I would just like to um, bring our attention to Doka's concept of disenfranchised grief, whereby he has actually sort of mentioned that, yes, we recognize that people who are bereaved usually are loved ones, people who are close to a person who has died by suicide, but clinicians have often been kind of forgotten and the grief has been kind of hidden. The title of the book is The Hidden Sorrow. Uh, why disenfranchised? Because it's as if a grief of a clinician after losing a patient to suicide is somehow not legitimate. So I'm coming from a space whereby, as a young psychiatrist, um, I lost a patient uh, to suicide. And um, when I open up to um, people who are more senior and you know mentors whom I look up to, um, the 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 phrase that gets stuck in my head is you know if if a patient if you have not lost a patient to suicide you've not seen enough patients so I could understand uh, where it was coming from something to reassure to say it's okay it happens you know you're not alone but the flip side is that does it really mean that it's a given that if I am a psychiatrist and healthcare provider eventually I'll lose a patient to suicide so. That somehow just rang hollow and it was, you know, I described it in my talk as a punch in the gut. So, you know, it kind of got suppressed kind of thing and, you know, I moved on. But I think um, when another colleague uh, lost a patient to suicide and I think it, it, it re, re traumatized me because I think it was the demographics of the patient. Young people, you know, when you lose young people, the impact is huge because it's unexpected. You don't expect to use it, lose a young life. And then all sorts of questions come across your mind. What could I have done differently? Um, you know, it's, it's my fault. I'm incompetent. 
So, uh, but I think that uh, what helped me was that um, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to have this community, and specifically the zero suicide community, where I was. My eyes were open and my ears were open that, hey, I'm not alone. This experience is not something that only I have experienced. And even though it's not an uncommon experience, we, we don't have to accept it as something that is inevitable in terms of suicide uh, prevention. However, there is such a thing called post-traumatic growth. When we have been given the time and space to, to kind of you know, make some sense out of this loss and heal to a certain extent. Um, there's, there's, there's so much room to, to, to grow, you know. For example, you know, I'm very inspired by Tony Pisani's re, a paradigm shift of prevention-focused risk formulation rather than prediction, which we know is imprecise. So he has, you know, uh, when he explains about his uh, risk formulation, uh, it's coming from a space where he's lost a patient, so, you know, there, then there must be something better and newer, more innovative that we have been, you know, that, that, that we can do that it's not the same as what we've been doing, same old, same old. So, so yes, it's a loss, but we can learn from the loss. It, it doesn't have to always be just negative. That, that there can be positive growth from that. I guess people who take their own lives come into contact with all sorts of healthcare professionals potentially and those different professional groups have got different ways of supporting each other and giving people you know um, so tell us a bit about some of the ways that you think professionals can support each other in a postvention scenario yeah so if we if we if we trying to be informed by evidence um there is some level of evidence well at least coming from qualitative research that GPs uh, who have lost patients to suicide have uh, sort of commented that balanced groups can be kind of a safe space to have peer support, but with a caveat. Um, so this, this particular study was, um, the first author was Rota Pervik and it was in Slovenia. So the community is small. So there was some concern that, you know, if the balanced group uh, consists of people that they know, there is some awkwardness and you know social control that it's, it's not so much comfortable so they would more prefer it if it consists of people whom they didn't really know uh, within their circle more confidentiality less self-stigma perhaps or you know that perceived sense of judgment whether or not there was actual judgment and is that it in terms of evidence? Is there? I mean, it, this feels like a, a really important area. Is it something that research just hasn't looked at very much? Yeah. So there's definitely a huge gap in terms of um, systematic research on, you know, what are effective interventions in terms of postvention uh, for clinicians bereaved uh, from suicide um, of clients. Um, there's definitely much more work to be done. I mean, if you want to extrapolate from uh, studies uh, that have looked at populations apart from clinicians. There is some evidence of CBT groups, RCTs have been done, um, but these populations bereaved family members. So there, there, there seems to be some benefit from, um, again, group, um, CBT-based groups. Uh, there was some study looking at writing interventions for students that somehow was cathartic and uh, reduced some suicide-specific grief aspects. Um, and um, 
what is more anecdotal and that not has that has not been properly researched is, you know, the whole systems uh, in place that have to roll out after a suicide of a patient, for example, root cause analysis, psychological autopsies. So some anecdotal um, comments from clinicians that yes, this has been informative uh, in terms of you know having the knowledge of you know what should we do next to prevent another suicide. However, there's also the sense of being judged and criticized. So, so that, that balance has to really be in place. And um, some models that haven't been tested formally include, um, you know, um, centers in Brisbane uh, led by Catherine Turner, who have put within a zero suicide framework um, clinician-specific postvention uh, programs where it's multi-level. First, you have psychological first aid, and then uh, the availability of peer support, and if it's necessary, referral for individual therapy. But we're still waiting for the evidence to pan out for how effective these interventions are. I'm talking about how it affected you as a training psychiatrist when you lost a patient. Mm -hmm. That sounds really traumatic and a really terrible response from your your boss. But... um, how did you overcome that? I think that uh, I knew that my mentor um, was trying to be constructive. So intellectually, I knew that. And he, was, he is an amazing person. So I knew that. Um, but yet the kind of like the gut response, that very visceral gut response was, hey, come on, you know, how is that possible? But I think it's, it's coming from this whole long tradition of... Exactly that. It's been kind of passed down for generations and generations that, you know, it's inevitable. And there's, there's some, some um, published data where people looked at surveys. And, uh, you know, as I shared in my talk, we have to bear in mind that this is quantitative data. So it's not qualitative where people actually report it. But there are some stems in some surveys that say that, you know, um, uh, if, if some clinicians found it helpful if they viewed suicide as a possible outcome. But my view, my personal, well, biased view is that possible does not equate to inevitable. So um, there's still much, I, I think there needs to be a real paradigm shift here because it's not about just one person, be it the clinician or the client that has to bear the quote-unquote blame or responsibility. We all have a responsibility to play systems approach, and it's not just within healthcare systems. It's the entire society, first, first responders, schools, um, insurance providers, law enforcement, the works. Nobody is, I think, exempt from bearing the responsibility. It's not just one individual. And have you been put, that in, have you been put in that situation yourself since where you have had to talk to a trainee psychiatrist who's come to you and said, I've lost a patient? Uh, yes, so you know we work in teams. So I supervise a psychiatry residents. So I remember very clearly it was after the lunar year long holidays, and I came back and um, you know I we heard that um, there was this particular patient under who 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 received care from us had inpatient care seemed okay during outpatient care, and very unfortunately died by suicide in another institution because, you know, that was logistically, that was how it ended up. Um, so there, the, it was not just one trainee that was affected. There was the on-call trainee. There was the trainee who saw this patient um, in outpatient and my other residents in the team. So first off, 
uh, it was very obvious that you know there was this fear about them even telling me after the holidays and then um, I just tried and drew from whatever little experience that I had to try and reassure them hey look you know let's do this together right you know we're not here to say whose fault is it and um, it's it's embarrassing to say but we don't have specific structured postvention services from where I come from so even you know the most obvious thing to do like contacting the bereaved family was something very fearful so what we did was a conference call and I don't know maybe because somehow the patients I don't know how to say this so that it doesn't come out bad, but you know, we didn't lose the patient in our institution, even though it was under our care. Maybe that thing made things a little bit more easy. So um, we made the call. We just reassured the family that you know who, who's in the conference call. But basically, we just made ourselves available. Said that if you needed support, please you know come to us, reach out to us. You know how are you kind of thing, but not really pushing or probing, but just saying that hey, look. We're here if you need us anytime. Um, we didn't hear back uh, from this uh, family. Uh, I hope they're okay. But if I can share just one more more recent experience that I had just three months ago, somebody I saw 10 years ago as a trainee, uh, five minutes maybe, and, um, and it was complicated by this person being within my social circle. So... Um, it was a shock that I heard three months ago this patient passed on uh, from suicide. And uh, I was stuck in a situation um, asking myself whereby should I even attend a funeral? Literature tells us that funeral attendance is helpful. But when you're in that position, I mean, is it really helpful? I started to question myself, should I? Is it going to be helpful for me? Is it going to be helpful for the family? But to cut the long story short, I'm glad I did because it gave a culturally and socially normative space to grieve collectively and openly and the grief did not have to be hidden anymore. So I, 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 I found it cathartic. And okay. I would recommend it to my trainee. Thank you very much for sharing. It's really moving and powerful stuff. Yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you, Andre. Mm-hmm.